Amen. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. On the back of your notes are sermon notes, or rather on the back of your announcements are sermon notes. You can write today's title, which is Baptism of Fire. Come on, Baptism of Fuego. We are going to talk about the Baptism of Fire that comes from God. I am so excited about you being here. I'm excited about what God is doing. My life has been changed because of the Baptism of Fire. And if you wanted to know, in, in the history of my 13 years, almost 14 years in Christianity, if you would say, Pastor, what has made one of the differences of your life? You know what I would say? It's the baptism of fire. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes inside of you and sets you ablaze. Some people have taught that God is just somewhere far off in the distance and that what we do and what he does are two separate things. That I just do my thing down here, God does his thing up there, and every now and then God wants to help us. He'll just throw us a bone. He'll just throw us a blessing. And sometimes people think that prayer is just like wishing. You know, oh, I prayed for that. I wished for that. Nothing changed. I go on with my normal life. Hey, you having a bad day? I'll just say a little prayer for you. You hear people that really don't have any faith in God saying that they want to pray and these things, but nothing happens. Is that all Christianity was meant to be, was just, I believe in something? What if I just told you I believe in Peter Pan? Is that admirable? Hey, Pastor Joe believes in Peter Pan. Wow, that's awesome. He's going to pray to Peter Pan today that you have a good day at work. Or if, you know, somebody passes, like my friend did, people leave on her Facebook, our prayers are with you, you know. Hey, I'm going to talk to Peter Pan about your loss today. Isn't that what it seems like, though, in most churches today? There doesn't really seem to be any display of God's power. If God made the universe, he must be pretty powerful, right? If God created the sun, and the Bible says that there is one sun for this planet, but that there are stars innumerable, more than the sands of the sea, that are even bigger, we know through science. But the Bible said that a long time ago. There's billions of suns. How much more powerful is our God than a sun? They say one second of the sun's light can, can power the earth's uh, energy for one whole day. And one whole day of the sun can power the earth's energy for as long as we'll ever need. That's how powerful, that's how much energy the sun gives off. Are you all listening to me? Somebody say baptism of fire. You see, I want to bring you the connection here of where the great God in heaven moves in your life down here on earth. I want you to understand that you are to be connected to that source of power. That you are supposed to change the world you live in. We know from the very fact of science that there's molecules, molecular uh, biology. There's things on the micro level that, that are like atoms and electrons and neutrons. But I want to ask you something. Who arranged all of those to begin with? God did. So what's a sickness? What's a disease? What's an arm, a limb that, that, that doesn't grow out? That, that's nothing to our God. He can tell the, the atoms, the neutrons, everything to change and rearrange just like that. The Bible says that when Jesus was on the earth, people would grow out limbs. People got raised from the dead. People's blinded eyes that had no eyes in their sockets would see. Does our God still do that, or are those just fairy tales? Or at best, are they just stories of the past? The Bible talks about the people of Israel facing the Red Sea, which would be the equivalent of like our Lake Michigan, and God separates it and they walk on dry land. 
That's pretty powerful. Amen? You ever try to do that? Just go in your bathtub and try to spread the water apart. And then try to make the part that you're spreading apart dry. The Bible says he did that just like that. The Bible says that as a matter of fact, that there's nothing impossible for our God. That he can move mountains. Why? Because what are mountains to God? What are those molecules that make rock? They're nothing to God. The Bible says with one breath of his nostril, one, one move of his breath, he can destroy the whole earth in a moment. And yet, Christians today don't seem to have enough power to heal a cold. Don't seem to have enough Holy Ghost power to live holy. To motivate themselves to witness. And as a matter of fact, there's this other character on earth, and he seems to be much more powerful. And that's the devil. It seems like people watch horror movies and they get so scared. There's these hauntings in people's houses. They get so scared. There's this violence and evil on the streets. And you talk to people and it's almost like they can't do anything about it. Oh, I couldn't stop gangs in my school. Teenagers, they're intimidated by the gangs in their school. And then the people in the church have so much temptation by the devil that they think the devil is so much more powerful than them that every temptation the devil says they have to give in to. But we're just human. What am I supposed to do? Like we're just weaklings. Like we're just a little pib squeak on the playground. And here comes the devil as the big bad bully and just slaps you upside the head. Is that what God intended? The God of the universe. We're his children. I mean, I would assume that if Superman had a son, that son would be kind of super. Super boy. Hello, somebody. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure it out. If I'm a Wyrostic and I have these type of features, my child will have those features. Amen. Well, if God is real and God is powerful, then his children ought to have power. His children ought to do what he does. Somebody say baptism of fire. You're going to learn about that. Look at Matthew 3.11. If you're there, say I'm there. Matthew 3.11 says, this is John the Baptist talking. He says, I will baptize you with water for repentance. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I. Who is John talking about there, my friends? So John the Baptist is here 2,000 years ago. He's baptizing people who want to repent of their sins. And he says, hey, everybody, look up at me here. Listen, listen, listen. Here I am. I'm baptizing you for repentance in water. But there's somebody more powerful than I. Everybody say, powerful. He says, there's somebody more powerful than I whose sandals I'm not even fit to carry. Can't even carry his chanclas. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Everybody say fire. Think about the energy that's in fire, in the natural. The moment that thing gets started, anything combustible that hits it, it just starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the hotter you make a fire, the more things that become combustible. You make heat and fire out of uh, nuclear products, it will melt this entire earth. So hot it will get. Are you listening to me? There is nothing more powerful than fire. The sun, fire. The stars, fire. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And here John the Baptist says, hey, guys, you see we're in the pool right here? You see this water that we're wading in? Well, there's one coming after me, and he's not going to baptize you with this little splash, splash right here. He's going to baptize you with fire. 
Fire! Come on, somebody. Fire! Not, 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 not with ice cream. He's not going to baptize you with ice cream, soda pop. He says, I'm going to, he says, he's going to baptize you with fuego, with what comes out of your stove, what people set ablaze on, on, you know, on bonfires. That's what you're going to get baptized in. And the word baptize means submerse. So just as you get baptized in water when you repent, when Jesus comes, he baptizes you in fire. The Holy Spirit, we may not see it, my friends, but when you come to Christ, you are literally dipped into the fire of God. The Holy Spirit fire. The same power that created the universe. Because we know, the Bible says, that the things that are seen were not created by the things that are seen. Meaning a computer is not made by that computer. It had to be made by something else. The watch did not make itself. Are you understanding? There's a watch maker. There's a computer maker. Well, what made all of the matter in the universe? A spiritual being called God. What made all the matter? God. So here this spiritual being is more powerful than all the natural things we see. He's more powerful than gravity. That's how come he can walk on water. Amen? He did that moon walk right on water because he's more powerful than gravity. That's why he could raise people from the dead because the natural laws bow to the spiritual laws. And here the blessing of this is, don't miss it here, it doesn't say he, Jesus, is just going to have the power. No, it says he's going to baptize you with the power. You're going to get the fuego. Woo, that gets me so excited. Dude, that gets me excited. Imagine if I told you right now, I'm going to dip you in some fire. In the natural, you would say, oh, Lord, have mercy. Get me out of here. But I want to ask you a question. Think about this. If I dipped you in fire, would there be any part of you that wouldn't be touched? No. Would there be any way that you would come out of that dipping of fire and molten lava, just dip you right in? Would there be any way that you would come out unaffected? You see, if you are truly baptized with the fire of God, your life will change. If you are truly consumed with God, you can't be the same. It's impossible to be the same. And you see, if you say to me, I've tried that, and you're still looking like you, you didn't try nothing, my friend. You played make-believe. Like I said, you weren't baptized in fire. It might have been ice cream, but it wasn't no fire, because if you had been baptized in fire, you wouldn't be talking and acting like that. Somebody say, give it to me hot. Come on, go to Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Just give it to me hot. Give it to me hot. Let me feel the flames of God today. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. When you're there, say, I'm there. Praise God. Baptism of fire. Being submerged in the fire of God. Now here's Jesus. He did an awesome work. He died on the cross. He raised from the dead. He said, salvation is now in my name. And then he's going to tell the disciple these final words before he goes to heaven to prepare a place for us. And here he is starting in, in verse 4. Just go up a little bit to verse 4. He says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John's baptism was with what? Water. But in a few days, you'll be baptized with the what? The Holy Spirit. 
So you think Jesus is kind of was, uh, John the Baptist was just kind of kidding around? No, Jesus says, hey, John told you the truth. We've been playing around in this water over here. But now get ready. The shikaboomba's coming. The fuego's coming. You're going to start seeing some things you ain't never seen before. You're going to start doing some things you've never done before. And it's going to feel like nitrous oxide uh, hitting your, your lungs and your body. You're going to have to shout out for Jesus. You're going to speak in other tongues. Come on, somebody. It's going to put your life in fifth gear. That's what he's telling them right there. Now go on to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. I'm going to teach you a little history right now. Why do people call themselves Baptists? Because they relate to the baptism of water of John the Baptist. Why do we call ourselves Pentecostals? Because we relate to the baptism of fire that came on Pentecost. So if you just want to be baptized in water and then go live your life as a Christian, that's all right. Hey, you can ride a tricycle from here to California if you want. It will get there, will it not? You and your tricycle, you can pedal your little way there. Work really hard. Go up those hills really hard. Slip on back every now and then. Come on, somebody. Or you can get in a 747, fly 600 miles an hour at 400 feet up in the air. Hey, it's up to you. You can live without the Holy Ghost if you want. In some ways, you can little pedal your way through life and be busted and disgusted and, and not knowing how to have power in your life. Or you can get in the Holy Ghost and the fire and let God put a rocket in you to glory. Come on, somebody. Woo! Rocket to glory. Rocket to glory. I don't want to ride no tricycle. Look at your neighbor and say, get off the trike. You don't want to be on a trike. You don't want to be just pedaling. <sighs> That's what you want to do. Here comes the shikaboomba. By the way, shikaboomba is just a word we made up to mean the baptism of fire. Amen. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a gentle breeze. Is that what it says? The Holy Ghost just gently, just gently just came on in. Oh, I feel that little tickling of my hair on the back of my neck. Jesus. Did it come like a little gentle wind? No, the Bible says suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, like a hurricane filled the, from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to reach on each us, rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's not really my tongue. I'm just giving an example. Amen. They said, Jesus! I mean, you've seen people in movies, get, you know, put their finger in a light socket. You've seen hurricanes come and tornadoes and the, the hair's all messed up. I mean, I'm telling you, friends, the God of the universe sends his spirit down with wind and fire. And then there is a change. The change is that now these disciples, they're not just riding tricycles anymore. Now they got the jet fuel of heaven. And the evidence of the jet fuel is speaking in other tongues. Somebody say speaking in tongues. You see, the evidence that they have received that baptism of fire is that they start talking in tongues they've never learned. And the Bible says there's two types of languages. There's languages on this earth and there's languages in heaven. A lot of people don't know that. 
Some people think that the language of heaven is like Spanish, like Jesus looks to the angels, que paso, what's going on? Or that Jesus is up there talking in English, hey guys, what's going on, Bert? Everything good? All right, man, everything's good here, keep it real. They don't talk in English in heaven. You understand English is not the language of heaven. The Bible says that there's languages of angels, different dialects. The Bible talks about that. There's the language of heaven. There's the language of this earth. And the Bible says that when this baptism comes, you will speak in unknown languages. Some of you don't know the history of our movement, but this has always been around. I can show you all throughout 2,000 years of church history that people have believed in the baptism of fire. When this baptism came, people began to hear languages. There were visitors there from out of town. They heard the disciples speaking in languages that they never even learned. And they said, I'm hearing the gospel preach. There were African-American slaves that, that were getting you know, um, persecuted in the 1900s when Azusa Street happened. They were still living in segregation. They were getting baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, speaking in perfect Mandarin Chinese. Perfect. Then there were others speaking in tongues of angels that nobody could understand. And then there was interpretations to those tongues. And the power of God was there. And that's what makes us different. Not just different in the sense like we're better than other people. It's what makes us true disciples. Now some people have gone too far and they said, well, if you don't speak in tongues then you're not saved. Well, we don't believe that. We're just saying you'll have a lot more fun being saved. Amen. You'll enjoy it a lot more. Amen. You know what? You can still go to heaven without it, but why? Why do that? You know, think about it. You're fighting the devil. Why fight the devil with a BB gun when you can have a bazooka? Hello? You're trying to get through life. Like I said, why, why try to get through life with your, with your little scooter? Come on, somebody. I'm believing God that he wants all of us to be filled today. I want you now to turn with me to 2 Timothy 1.6. How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? By asking God to set you on fire. Everybody here can receive it. Everybody here can speak in new tongues. And everybody here can do the works of God. As you're turning to 2 Timothy 1.6, I got a fresh revelation coming off the, the bread line of heaven right here. Turn to Mark 16. I want to show you this. The Holy Ghost just prompted me to show you this. I want you to see a little bit of this. This is the gospel, just so some of you can understand where I'm coming from. Uh, Mark 16, starting in 15. When you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. He said to them, this is Jesus talking, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will what? Come on, somebody say, drive out demons. Amen. They will what? Speak in new tongues. Praise God. They will pick up snakes with their hands. Go get the rattlesnakes-ish. I'm kidding. Oh, look, I got serious. They will pick up snakes. They will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them. You say, Pastor, that's crazy. What does that mean? Literally, you're invincible when you're serving God until God says it's time. And that may not mean much to you right now. You might say, well, I'm living comfortably in America. There's no poison. There's no snakes. But I've heard missionary stories be bit by venomous vipers and they not die. I've heard stories firsthand from missionaries who should have drowned and they didn't drown. I've heard stories from people as they were preaching the gospel in other nations that people would uh, uh, pull uh, guns on them and the gun wouldn't go off. 
I knew a man that was preaching on the streets. It was either Chicago or New York. And a man pulled a gun and clicked the trigger and it didn't go off. He said he saw an angel standing behind the man. He fell on his knees and he got saved. I'm telling you things like this happen, my friends. That's what it's talking about. The preachers. It's not saying they won't die because Christians die all the time. They get persecuted and die. People died in the Bible. But there will be a sign that God will show that he's with his people by supernaturally protecting them. Everybody say amen. And lastly, they will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Verse 19, after the Lord, has, Jesus had spoken this to them, he was taken up into heaven, sat at the right hand of God. Now listen to this verse. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord, what? Worked with them. Somebody say, the Lord worked with them. You see, they're the powerful God of all eternity. Jesus Christ himself wants to work with you. It says the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word with the signs that accompanied it. Do you want the Lord to work with you? Come on, some of you have seen those shows where Superman or somebody, you know, is doing some work and they clean the house really fast. You know, there's like a supernatural power there. Let me ask you something. Have you tried working with the Lord? Have you tried working out your marriage with the Lord? Have you tried working out your finances with the Lord? Have you tried working out your children with the Lord? Young people, have you tried working at school with the Lord? You see, the Bible says when you work with the Lord, He'll give you the power that He has. He'll confirm the word that you preach with signs following. Everybody say the baptism of fire. Now go back to that 2 Timothy 1.6. How do you receive it, Pastor? You receive it so simply. You say, Jesus, I want it. That's it. How did you get salvation? You say, Jesus, I want it. Everybody can receive it today. Look at 2 Timothy 1, 6. Somebody say, fan it into flame. Now, some of you right now today, you have the Holy Spirit. Let's, be, let's make some definitions. But you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have the flame of God in you, but it's not saturating you. You see, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came in you and saved you. But you haven't yet allowed your life to be saturated in it. Some people say, well, Pastor, the day Jesus came in, didn't I get all of Jesus? I mean, there's not little parts of Jesus and half of Jesus. You know, think about that. Some people say, more Jesus, more Jesus. Well, yeah, if you got saved, all of Jesus is in you. It's not like Jesus has his foot in you. It's like, come on, give me more Jesus. And he comes in with his leg and a little Jesus living in your heart, you know, you know the arteries of your veins. Come on, somebody. When we mean Jesus is living in your heart, we mean the Holy Spirit is there. And when we're saying more Jesus, more Holy Spirit, what we're saying is more of you comes to Jesus. More of your attitude gets in that fire. So you're the one that's kind of playing around. At first, you'll just kind of put in your attitude. Then a little bit after that, you'll try putting your family in the fire. And you'll start putting more parts of your life. What I'm just saying is just get on that little cap, plug your nose, and just jump in and get Holy Ghosted and toasted and roasted for the Lord. I'm talking about you just getting lamb basted like you get him ready to be barbecued. It just say, saturate me with the fire, Jesus. Somebody say, fan it into flame. So what some of you need to do right now is you need to start fanning it into flame. You get the evidence. 2 Timothy 1.6 says this. It says, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You see, if you're not careful, some of you who have been baptized in the Holy Ghost, your flame can go out. Once again, it's not that God is weak and He's like, Help me, I'm burning away. No, Holy Ghost, here's some more. Burn, burn. No. 
It's not that the Holy Ghost is like this little flame when he gets smaller and smaller. No, it's that your life becomes wetter and wetter and wetter, and it keeps dampening God in your life. You see, there's two ways to put out a fire, my friends. The first one is just to get wet things all around it, things that are not combustible. So when you come to church and you cross your arms like this and say, ah, I'm not doing that. I'm not speaking in tongues. See, you're quenching the Holy Ghost. You see, you're just putting water all up in your life. See, God will not force you to do anything. See, that's a law. That's a spiritual law. The devil can't force you, and God can't force you. You are a free moral agent. You choose heaven or hell. You choose the Holy Spirit or demonic spirits. You choose holiness or you choose sin. Everybody say amen. So if you sit here, "Mm, I'm not doing it, you won't do it. If you come up here and we're praying for you, in just a few moments you say, I don't really believe in that, it won't happen. Because if you dampen your life, the fire will not go beyond what you allow. So the number one way to put out a fire is just dampening it by not putting combustible things on it. Here's another thing that will put out a fire, just leaving it alone. If you just leave a fire alone, eventually it will just go out by itself. And it's not that God goes out, but once again, if not every day you're fanning that flame, putting your attitude there every day as a living sacrifice, what did they do with sacrifice in the Bible after they killed them, y'all? They put them on the fire and went up to heaven as a sweet savor, amen? Jesus does love a good steak. Come on, everybody. If you didn't know that, the Bible says when the animals were sacrificed, the priest would place the flesh on the altar and burn it. Hold your place there and go to... uh, Not Hebrews, but Romans chapter 12, and see that reference. What keeps the flames of fire burning is a person's life that is always surrendered on the altar of God. Because some of you have even said this to me. Well, Pastor, I see so-and-so speak in tongues, but they're not really any different than me, and I don't speak in tongues. Well, you know what the difference is? Is that person that's baptized with the Holy Ghost is not yielding their life to God every day. And their life is not changing anymore. And you may be letting God change you in the ways that he's doing it, and so it may look about the same. But listen to me. If someone is intentionally baptized in the Holy Ghost like they're supposed to be, there's no comparison to anyone else, any experience. That's not my words. That's Jesus' word. He says, I want to baptize you not only with water but with fire. Amen? Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. How am I fanned into flame? I want to keep putting combustible things on that fire. And those things are my life. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So think about this. You are that shrimp on the barbie. That's what keeps the flames going. God Put that attitude on the fire. God, put that doubt on the fire. God, put that fear on the fire. Lord, I'm laying it down. I'm going to be that living sacrifice. How does a man of God get baptized in the Holy Ghost, speak in tongues, and remain on fire to the day they see Jesus? Is every day they make their life a living sacrifice. Why some of you today have not spoken tongues and manifested the, the Holy Spirit that way is because you're afraid to let your life be baptized that way. You're afraid to let your life hit the flames. You doubt it. You're afraid of it. You don't understand it. But I'm telling you, it's the only life to live. The sacrifice life. Amen? Go with me now to 1 Thessalonians 5.19. 1 Thessalonians 
519. I got so many scriptures, so I'm just going through them today in a timely manner. I don't want to spend all the time in the world. As you get involved in our discipleship program, if you're not already, our seven-step book gives countless scriptures on the defense and understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Today I'm not here to convince you or debate with you about it. I'm here just to say, do it in Jesus' name. Amen? If you want to debate about it, go see Ish. He'll walk you through the book and the scriptures. We've never seen a Baptist or a non-Pentecostal defend it or defeat this point or defend their own. It's impossible. It's only one way to look at it. It's either all the way or no way with God. You get saved and you get filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. That was always the intention of God. He never intended you to walk in this world without power. And I'm going to get to some of the things that you'll be able to do in your life that you've never done before. But look at 1 Thessalonians 5.19. If you're there, say, I'm there. Look at what Paul is now saying to these people. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown, and our presence? Or rather, 2 Thessalonians. I'm in the wrong one. 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Oh, Lord, have mercy. It is first, and it is first, it's 19. Thank you. First Thessalonians 5, 19. Somebody say baptism of fire. Here it is, verse 19. It says, do not put out the spirits. Come on, highlight that for us, brother. Just highlight it. If you are in here and you're not baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, you're putting it out. You are. Some people have said to me, well, if God wants me to speak in other tongues, God will do it. No, God's already doing it. It's already trying to come out. God is already asking you to put your whole life in the fire. He's already saying he'll transform you. But you have the power to do that. Look what it says. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. That means, you know, speaking in tongues is one gift and prophecy is another. And it's saying don't get upset with prophecies. Let prophecies flow. Test everything. Hold on to the good. So it's not just saying do whatever, you know, somebody says, well, we speak in tongues, that's a little crazy, and somebody else is handling wild snakes in Arkansas, so now do that. No, it's saying test it, understand it. And verse 22, avoid every kind of evil. If you do that, the fire will always flame up in your life. You will always be sizzling for Jesus. Touch your neighbor and say, sizzling for Jesus. Sizzling for Jesus. What makes the difference between somebody who's barely getting along in Christianity, somebody who's not seeing miracles, not seeing demons cast out, somebody that's not prophesying and doing all the spiritual gifts? What's the difference? The fire of God. And let me tell you something, because some of you are new to our church and you're like, well, you know, I used to go to St. Saint, you know, Bartholomew's church and they never taught me this. How do I know this is right? Let me just tell you this. Read the Bible, the book of Acts, and you'll see no other answer to the problem. The reason why there's no power in the church is because the Spirit's fire is not here. The example is this one more time. Now, give it as this example. If we set this building on fire and you stayed in your seat, there is no way that you would remain untouched. And the only reason why churches are not talking about it and why you're not seeing the demonstration is because people are not filled with the fire. Period. And I love it when people try to convince me that the fire left. And I ask them to show me in the Bible where Jesus said he'll take back his fire. 
He never said he would take it back. You and I are to live like Peter, Paul, James, and John, and Matthew. The disciples weren't some guy supposed to be put on a pedestal with statues and that we would kiss their feet. No, the disciples were the first of many disciples. Jesus told them, now you go make disciples. Just so you can see the evidence of this, turn with me in the book of Acts. I'll introduce you to two people, one particular who wasn't even part of the original 12. He wasn't Matthew or uh, James or John or Judas. Look at the story of Philip in Matthew chapter 9, or 8 rather. Look at Acts, Acts rather, Acts chapter 8. Look at this. When you're in Acts chapter 8, say I'm there. Look at Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. So what were they preaching? The word, wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. Who's Philip? you got to read earlier. Philip's just a deacon in the church. Philip's not one of the original 12. But yet Philip, a man just like us, bam, he got baptized with the Holy Ghost. And now he's preaching the word. He goes to Samaria, proclaims Christ. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and paralytics and cripples were healed. How many have seen demons come out in this church? How many have seen people healed in this church? Come on, man. So there was great joy in that city. How many people are seeing joy come to the city through this church? So we're, we're there. I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm saying we're doing this thug dizzle for the love of shizzle. You heard? I'm saying we're doing this. Look at verse 9. Now there was a man named Simon. He was doing all this bad boy stuff. Okay. Now look at verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Why did they send Peter and John? So that they might receive what? The Holy Spirit. For because they had not received the Holy Spirit and not come on them, they had simply been baptized in water. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now just go over a few chapters here. Go over here to Acts chapter 19. So is this a common pattern of the Bible, y'all? People get filled with the Holy Ghost after they got baptized in water? Come on, that gets me excited. Did y'all see that? And we're not talking about just somebody laying their hands on you saying, now receive the Holy Ghost, you got it. No, you ain't got it just like that. You're going to have evidence that you got it. You're going to have a changed life that you got it. Look at Acts chapter 19. When Apollos was, starting verse 1, was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior, arrived at Ephesus. He found some disciples. Everybody say disciples. So these weren't crack dealers. These weren't prostitutes. These weren't greedy businessmen. What were they? Disciples. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we don't even know there's a Holy Spirit. He said, then what baptism did you get? They say John's baptism. So the only baptism in water they had even had was when John was baptizing. They hadn't even been baptized in the Father, Son, Holy Ghost on Jesus' name. Come on. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He said to believe in the one coming after him. On hearing that, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today I got that baptism of water. And when, they, when Paul placed his hand on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Come on. Jesus, what more evidence do you need? It's as clear as day. Now, are you going to put out that fire? Are you going to cross your arms and say, oh, I ain't going to do it? Oh, man, that looks crazy. I saw so-and-so over there, and they were going crazy speaking in tongues. Or I saw somebody prophesy, and, and, and I didn't like what they said. 
Or are you just going to say, Jesus, come on, set me on fire. Take all of me. You see, that's the desire of a true disciple. See, when these disciples heard, oh, man, they'd only been baptized in water. That would be like some of you coming here. Hey, have you been baptized? Yeah, I was baptized as a kid. Okay, well, that don't count. You've got to get baptized in the adult as the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You're saying, okay, I'll do that. I understand. I couldn't make a Christian decision as a child. I'll make it now as a person of sound mind. Okay, and you get up out the water, and we say, hold on. That's only half of it. Here's the other half. Get ready. Fire. And then you start speaking in tongues. That's what it would be like. These boys right here said, man, we, we just know about John the Baptist. We've just been baptized in water. And Paul's like, look, man, you've got to get another baptism, and you've got to get that fuego de Dios. Anybody want that fuego? Man, they used to sing a song back in the day that you got that fire. They would say, you got that fire. I want you to look at your neighbor and just say, you got that fire? Because that's all you need in life for the Holy Ghost is his fire. Now, let me explain it to you in the next hour and a half, two hours at the most. I'm just kidding. Let me explain to you why it's fire and not water, rain, ice cream, or soda pop. Turn with me right now to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. You might say, what's that thing got to do with fire? Why is it about fire? I'm going to show you right now. Because if you're taking notes, number one, our God is a consuming fire. You see... The, the spiritual being who created all the energy in this earth himself is a flaming ball of fire. That doesn't mean he's, you know, a talking head in a flame and he moves this little flame guy. It's just saying that the most intense power you could ever imagine upon this earth, that is what God himself is made out of in the spirit. The Bible says that when he comes and visits this earth, that the earth will melt like wax in the presence of him. It literally says, in the presence of the Lord, the mountains will melt like wax. This is serious. Hebrews 12, 29. Look at Hebrews 12, 29. It says that our God is a consuming fire. You see, now there's going to be some serious talk i got to get to you because maybe you were looking at the Holy Ghost like it was kind of like that dessert after you got done eating that full meal. You know, you go to a restaurant, you enjoy the meal. You say, hey, man, that was good. That was a good meal. You enjoyed the meal. It was a good meal. You got room for dessert? Oh, don't have room. Maybe next time. Some of you may be coming to this church, and you get filled, filled, filled off the word, and you love God. And then we say, you want to get the baptism of the Holy Ghost? No, I'm fine. I'll get it next time. Listen to me. The Holy Ghost is not the little dessert after your Christian meal. The Holy Ghost is receiving God and his power into your life. And to not do so is a form of rebellion. Look at that scripture. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. The Bible says there will come a time when everything will be salted with fire, tested by the fire of God. You see, if you think to yourself right now, Oh, fire, man, that doesn't sound right, Pastor. I'm not feeling that. Listen to me, you ain't getting out of it. Because if you don't get the fire of the Holy Ghost, you're going to get the fire of judgment. I want everybody to see that for themselves. Turn with me to Mark, chapter 9, verse 49. In hell there is what? In the lake of fire there is what? I need a church that can turn to a Bible scripture and also answer a question. Come on, somebody. In hell there is. In the lake of fire there is. On judgment in Armageddon there is. 
You see, one of it comes from the Holy Spirit. The other one is out of God's wrath. Look at what Mark 9.49 says. If you're just saying, ah, I know, I'm, I'm okay, man. I, I don't need that. Start in verse 47. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. And that's obviously fire, eternal fire. That's what hell means. Anybody at that time knew, and we know what hell is. Where the worm dies not, and the fire is not quenched. Now look at verse 49. This will put a little fear of God in you. Everyone will be salted with fire. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. When the Christian puts his life on the Barbie now, it's a good thing because God starts to purify him. When the sinner refuses to do it, The fire of God will destroy him. And then in eternity it will punish him. Everyone will be salted with fire. Now the question is, how do you want it? Do you want it now? With the mercy of God and the power of God flowing through you so you can do the works of God? Do you want the power of God like a solar lamp coming to you so you can do good things? Or do you want just to be tossed into a bonfire? Because both is fire. But one solar energy is taking the fire and doing something with it. Another one is just burning you. You see, one way or the other, you're going to feel God's fire. When you see people shake, fall down, and laugh with joy and cry in this church, we're getting salted with fire. The baptism of fire is working out the junk in us, and it's putting power in us. And it's a good thing because God is a part of that. But when God sees you on Judgment Day, He's created a whole separate fire called hell that will consume your soul for eternity. Now you might say, Pastor, I thought you just told us if we don't speak in tongues, we we still get to go to heaven. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you probably do. But I'm wanting you to be very honest with yourself. If you're already going to be up there being judged by fire, your friends are going to be sent to hell in fire, why are you afraid of the fire now? Get used to it. Because fire is who our God is. Power is who He is. See, some of you right now, you come to the church, you don't really come to the prayer meetings, you don't really get involved in discipleship, and you're thinking that, you know, your, pa- your pastor's pretty cool and pretty good looking and a real nice guy. And at the same time, he's really radical. And so when he asks you to speak in tongues, come on, everybody, speak in tongues. When he asks you to do that, you're thinking to yourself, I'm okay. I love God, but that's just a little much for me. You don't understand. I'm I'm his son. You haven't met Papa Flame yet. You, you haven't met Papa Flame. Are you listening to me? Because when you get up there, there ain't no in and out. You're going through the fire. That you're going through it, my friend. You will have everything in your life exposed. Those who are baptized, speaking in their tongues now, said, Lord, just do it now for your glory so that I can get rewarded when I'm in heaven. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready for the flames. Doesn't mean you're going to hell. It just means you're going to feel them sometime, someplace in judgment or right now with the Holy Ghost. Now turn with me to Revelations 1.14. Somebody say, the Father is a consuming fire. I'm going to show you that Jesus himself is fire. Not just fire that we make on this earth, but energy, intense power. And the only example of this earth is fire. So some people say, why does God use earthly examples about heavenly things? You know why? Because if you use heavenly examples about earthly things, we wouldn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> There's this glass ball up there that does all these weird things, and that's what's in heaven. You wouldn't understand what he's talking about. That's why when people go up to heaven, they say, it's like fire, it's like water, it's like glass, it's like jewels, it's like gems, it's like gold. 
You understand what I'm saying? So it's not like literally there's God up there with the match and fire. It's just saying that when we on earth understand who he is, that's the only terminology we have. Look at Revelations 1.14. When you're there, say, I'm there. His head, talking about Jesus, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living. I was dead. And behold, I'm now alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus Christ is blazing fire. Face shining brighter than the sun. More brilliant than the sun. Can we even imagine such a thing? Why does God want to set your life in fire? Because He's a consuming fire. He wants you to be like Him. And then you've already learned that the Holy Spirit comes with fire. But look at Revelations 19, 12. Let's give you another one of Jesus. A flame of fire. His feet being bronze, by the way, is that bronze that's cooked in the fire with precious metals. A blacksmith can explain it to you about how metals are bronzed in fire and different things that happen with precious metals. Jesus' feet are as pure as the material that we've ever known on this earth. So pure. His glorified body is pure, and it's a flame of fire. It's, It's bronze heated in the fire. His face is brilliant. He's not that little baby in a manger anymore. Amen? He's a consuming fire. Say a consuming fire. Revelations 19, 12. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. This is a conqueror. Here he is, our Jesus. In his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen and white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword which strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Lords. Give him glory. Come on, somebody. This is the book that we're all waiting to see come to pass. Why do you and I need to be baptized with flames of fire? Because our God is a flame of fire. Now, here's three things that a flame of fire, the baptism, will do for you. Write them down. Number one, it will purify you. Number two, it will bring you passion for God. And number three, number three it will bring you power. Starting with purification, go to Isaiah chapter 4, verse 4. How many have areas of their life that they want to be purified? Can you say amen? How many of you have areas of your life that you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired and you want to be changed today? Can you say amen? Come on, man. Why are we playing with this God? If he is truly the God of heaven and earth, then he can change us right now. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is you meaning business with God. It's you saying, God, set me on fire. I never want to be the same. And let me just make a side note as we're doing this today. Some of you need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some of you need to come up here and say, God, I've spoken tongues before, but I really haven't been doing it lately. Or I have, but I've been getting cold. And God just poured out on me fresh. 
Look at Isaiah chapter 4, talking about purification in verse 4. I love how the Bible talks. Lord, make us speak your word every day. Listen to this word. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse, he will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. The filth of the women and the men can be right there with them. But this specific passage was dealing with the women who had turned their back on God. And it applies to all of us. Have you ever had an area of your life that you said to the Lord, you can't have this. You can't have it. Maybe you didn't say those exact words, but the Lord said, hey, I want you to give your tithes. I want you to support the kingdom. But you said, no, God, you can't have that. That's filthy in God's eyes. Maybe God is saying to you, I want you to be at the prayer meeting. I want you to be obedient with your life. And you say, no, Lord, I don't want to do that. God says, I'm going to purify you. I'm going to burn that out of you. Some of you look at us as we're crazy, and that's okay because we're crazy for Jesus, all right? But listen to me. Some of you look at us and you say, I can never do that. I, I can never pray the way they pray, worship the way they worship, get on the knees and just weep. I don't know how they do. You know how we do that? Because God has purified us from your stinking thinking. We don't think the way you used to think. You know why? Because our brain has been saturated in the, in the lava of God's spirit and he's burned up all the junk. You're saying, Pastor, are you perfect? No, but I'm on my way there. Glory to God. I am on my way, moving on up. I'm being honest with you. The baptism of fire will sanctify you. There were things in my life, people tell me, oh, you Christians, you just follow rules and regulations. Listen to me. There wasn't one rule in this Bible that I couldn't watch TV or movies. But when I got saved and the Holy Ghost filled me up, I was watching movies one day, and I got so grieved in my heart. I felt like the flame of God was burning away. And, and, I, and I said to the Lord, what's going on? And he says, you're giving more time to TV and movies than you are to me. And I still didn't listen to him. And I was bringing back the, these movies to Blockbuster. And I was just a new Christian. I was just 18 years old. Nobody had ever told me there's anything wrong with movies. The Bible doesn't say any of those things. I mean, I don't murder. I don't steal. I go to church. I'm doing good. And here I go to bring back the movies, and, and this person looks at me. You're here all the time. And the moment I hear that in my heart, God says, yeah, I told you. These things are taking your life over. And I said, God, what do you want me to do? He said, don't watch them. For eight and a half years, I didn't watch TV or movies, none of it. Because God said, I want to consume that part of your life. When I first got saved, God said, I don't want you to date for a year. Does it say anywhere in this Bible that, that I couldn't date for a year? No. But as I began searching my heart, God began to expose who I was. And he says, you still love sex. You still have a perverted mind. And I want a spirit of fire to burn away your filth. I can tell you what happened in my life. So when you're talking to me, Pastor, how did you do this? How did you do that? You're so much goody two-shoes. No, no, no. I just let the spirit of fire, the spirit of judgment of God. He said the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment. I said, Lord, here I am. Set me on fire. Will you do that? Will you say to the Lord, whatever it takes, God, right now, if it means I never play a sport again, there's been men that have come to these altars and said, I won't play a sport again until God changes my heart about sports. There's been men that have come to these altars and said, I'm going to fast a day a week because I'm not going to eat or do anything but pray because God wants to put some good in me and get the bad out. You see, when you're baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, it gets real like that. 
Read that scripture again. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. Zion is the good guys, by the way. They're not bad people. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Holding your finger right there, I want to give you that reference I gave you in John so you can write it in your notes. Go to John chapter 15. That when the Holy Spirit comes, he's talking before he goes away to heaven. He says when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what it will do in your life. Rather, uh, chapter 16, look at uh, John chapter 16, verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regards to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. He said he will convict the world of what? Guilt. Everybody say guilt. Look at verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of... When was the last time you felt guilty about something? Come on, I'm not just talking about telling a big old lie. I mean, if you don't feel guilty about that, there's some major issues. Get saved. But I'm talking about when was the Holy Spirit so on fire in your life that you were so sensitive that you could feel guilt that you weren't acting the way you were supposed to, talking the way you were supposed to, even thinking the way you were supposed to, looking too long at a person on the sidewalk, arguing with your husband or your wife, mistreating your parents, not being totally who God wants you to be, and all of a sudden there's guilt on your life. Oh, I'm guilty. I'm not right. You know why? Because God wants to burn it away. He's looking for us to live like Him, and our God is a consuming fire. Let Him set your life on fire today. Amen? He'll purify you. Number two, everybody say passion. Go to uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. And I want to encourage anybody in this church that's married, that's wanting just some um, encouragement to love each other, read the book of Song of Solomon together and just do what it says. The book of Song of Solomon is a romantic book of two lovers. And if I could tell you how plainly it talks, it would scare the children. The Bible gives you instruction on love. Now listen to me. The Bible says in regards to Christ, He is the husband and we as a church are the what? Everybody say the bride. So we ought to be in this example of Song of Solomon as the woman, as the one pursuing the man, the bride of Christ. That's the spiritual application of the Song of Solomon. Now hear this to to everyone here. Some of you have said to yourself, how come these guys love Jesus so much? And be honest, you've asked yourself, some of you, why does Eddie Berto get here at 4.30 in the morning and pray? Can he just pray at his home? Can he just pray at the dinner table? Some of you have asked yourself, why do they pray so long? Why do they worship for an hour? I'm sure people have thought, thought that. Why do these guys keep singing? All right, we, we've sung the song, it's over. You know why? Because it's not about you. It's about him. And we love him. And just like being on a date that you never want to end, we don't want this time to end. It's a beautiful romance. We love God. My friends and I right here were doing some work. We had to start. We had to, uh, to stop at Longhorn. All the whole restaurant was filled. They said you could sit at the bar. I said, okay, we'll sit at the bar and get something to eat. We're sitting there. The barkeep comes over there. She says, you want something to drink? No, we're just eating. Like I had to let everybody know. Just eating. Just going to get some food right here Longhorn. I'm okay. Y'all can never come crazy. 
But I had to let everybody know I'm a preacher, not drinking, eating. So we sit right there. And we're sitting there. Some of you might want to pray for me now, but that's okay. So we're sitting there and we're eating at Longhorn at the little bar. And then I got myself in trouble. That's okay. And I'm sitting there and I'm eating. The woman says, you want to drink? And I said, no, I stopped that 18 years ago. I mean, when I was 18, 13 years ago. She said, oh, man, I just got back from Vegas, and I'm detoxing, man. I'm shaking. I wish I had some more. And I said, I feel sorry for you. Remember? And she said, well, you know, I'm not religious. And I said, I'm not religious either. And she thought I was playing with her. We're playing with her. I said, listen to me. I love God. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And she couldn't compute it in her brain. In her brain, God is a religion. God is a place you go. God is something you do. You read your Bible. She didn't understand there at the bar stool eating our little hamburger and, and the little onion thing, the awesome blossom thing, that we could be there, not want to drink, do any of that, and still love God and be happy. Some of you have asked that. Why do they worship so long? Why do they do it? You know why? Because we're in love. But here's the good part. It came from the baptism of fire, and you can have it too. You could be crazy just like us. You could be up at the altar, and there's sometimes there's, there's people up there that say, Oh, man, two hours. It wasn't long enough, man. There's some like Liz. We got done like I just like peeled myself off the floor. Like I'm getting off the floor. I'm like, oh, man, it's like 3 in the afternoon that one day. And Liz, she's in the back there. She says, That's so awesome. Let's go all night. Why? Because she's in love with Jesus. Because the baptism of fire made her passionate for God. Look at Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 6. If you're there, say I'm there. Look at what it says, the, the beloved and the lover, this love story. I guess we're not there. 8, 6. Look at what it says right here. We sing this all the time. Place me like a seal over your heart. This is the woman saying to the man. All women, women, you could say this to the man and you'll just love this. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Some of you have been in love. Has it felt that strong to you before? For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy, unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. That's how powerful the flame is, is that rivers and waters still can't take it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. I want to encourage you to let the baptism of fire set you ablaze for love for God that never goes out and no matter all the troubles of this world your heart blazes for God you look at people who have quit what happened they let the water put out their flame they let the water put out their flame for God and they don't come to church and they have bitterness and they're angry with people and it's not a problem with religion it's a problem with the relationship they fell out of love with God but I want to tell you that baptism of fire will purify you and it will give you passion for God You'll wake up in the morning and want to pray. You'll want to go out and witness and tell everybody how good God is. You'll want to worship the Lord. Why? Because it burns like a flame. It burns as a mighty fire and nothing can take it away. I praise God today for that flame. If you're with me, would you stand to your feet? Praise God. If you want the baptism of fire or you already got it or you just want some more, just raise up your hands and say, here I am, Jesus. Come on, God. Here we are, Lord. Man, would you come, please? Baptism of fire. Lord, we don't just want religion. We want a relationship with you. 
Oh, Jesus. In closing Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just put it up on the screen for me, brother. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus never intended any of us to live a life without God's power. You and I are supposed to be filled and filled and filled with the power of God, the flames of God. What will the fire of God do? It will purify you.